you know, I, I've, I've said for a long time that lean is more about problem solving than most people give it credit for. Second is that every organization that isn't doing lean is still doing problem solving. And so whether that's a, a pathway, a, a, an entry level drug on the way to a gateway drug to, to lean, or just simply that's where you stop and you're just solving problems, we all need to do that better. And that 90% of the books, maybe 98% of the, the books, the training, the, the advice about problem solving is after you've decided to solve problems in a structured way and you pick up a tool, how do you use that tool? And I, I kind of felt like, and I think I might've used this analogy, but uh, you know, it's like training somebody how to use a barbell and the exercise equipment when the real problem is they never go to the gym. And, and it's, it seems like the same kind of thing where lots of people will train you on how to use a problem solving tool, but then people never have the initiative to actually pick up the tool and use it. And so there's other problems and challenges and, 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 and positive influence that helps shape problem solving beyond the tool. And so that's why, I, that's what I wanted to unravel and explore and ultimately write about. Hey everybody, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke. And we're from the Just In Time Cafe. Welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, talk to thought leaders, discuss great books, and get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners. We let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu today? I'm so happy you asked, Tracy. <laughs> Today's highlight is our interview with Jamie Flinchbaugh, author of the new book, People Solve Problems. He's got a different take on the crux of problem solving. It is not EDCA, it is not to make, it's not tools or methods. Jamie is a great raconteur, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Next up, it's an app that can turn you into a super trainer. And for Q&A, we asked our community, how do you address problems without stepping on people? Still a great day at the cafe, Tracy. That's right. We're going to step lightly. Up next, it's hot apps. Yes, Tracy, today's app helps trainers draw their students into their lessons. Yes, this app is called Slido, and it's not just for trainers. It's also for presenters and managers. It's really a way to include everyone in your meetings, whether you're doing a remote meeting, a hybrid meeting, a virtual meeting, an all hands meeting, a webinar or a conference. And they've got lots of different things that you can, you can do like audience Q and A, giving everyone a chance to ask questions, whether they're on mute or they're too shy to speak up. So it's great to involve introverts. People can ask anonymously and vote for questions that they like, bringing the most important topics to light. They also have something called live polls, which many of you are probably already familiar with now that we're in a virtual environment, but you turn your one-way presentations into engaging conversations with 
the live polls. They also do a word cloud, which we know some other apps do like Mentimeter and surveys. And they, you can ask what people think or how they feel. And you get their feedback in real time. They also have quizzes and those are always fun. So I've always used Kahoot and they also have quizzes. You can bring fun to your meetings or training sessions. You can create a live quiz or trivia game, test people's knowledge. So that's great for the trainer portion or maybe a competition between teams. Uh, you know, if they're trying to learn a new Microsoft Teams app or something. And finally, they have data analytics. You can export the data, analyze it, and use it to make presentations better. Sounds awesome. I actually found out about it from someone that is in my in our little community. And so I thought, huh, this sounds like something we should maybe highlight. So what did you discover, Elizabeth? Well, I played with a little bit. I have to say it's really intuitive. It's, you know, it was easy to just figure out how to make use of it. It's really designed, as you say, for individuals, you know, speakers, trainers, presenters. It integrates with a lot of other apps like Google Slides, PowerPoint, Microsoft Teams. And I think there's other things like Mentimeter that don't do that integration. Yes. Right? That you, can, you can build it right in. Mm -hmm. There's also no need to download anything. You set it up online and let the participants interact by using their phones. Mm -hmm. It has templates. I'd play with those a little bit for training, for presentations, for team meetings. You know, it'll, it'll, I tested it out. You, it'll throw out some icebreaker questions, give you summary questions about the training. Like, you know, what's the most valuable thing you learned today? Or on a scale of one to five, how well do you understand the topic so far? And so it's really thinking about what do trainers, presenters, what do they need? And what are some good examples? You know, mm -hmm. it included polls that let you build the quizzes. And like I said, it was easy to use. Yeah. There is a free, what were you going to say, Tracy? No, no, no. I, I, I'm happy to hear that, you know, because sometimes that's the barrier is how easy is this stuff to use? People don't want to have to spend wasted time, underutilized waste of time trying to learn new things just, just so you can play a game. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, in terms of pricing, there's a free basic version that limits you to three polls, 100 participants, but it lets you ask it lets you ask as many questions as you want. Next up, it's the engage version. That's 12 bucks a month, and with that, you get now you're up to 200 participants. You get unlimited polls and quizzes, and you get to export the data. And you mentioned that the data analytics, and I like this aspect. You can download the information, like the questions that people asked, the answers they gave, the poll results. And that's something that you could use. So I'd be into that. The professional version allows two users up to 2000 participants. And then the top version is $200 a month. And that allows three users and up to 5,000 participants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what I really like about just even listening to all of these benefits is, you know, I've you know, had to learn different apps. Like I said, I use Kahoot for the quizzes and I use Mentimeter for polls and I use Zoom for polls. And it would actually be kind of nice if I had one thing that did it all. And also for our audience, cause you know, again, that, that learning fatigue, you know, they don't, they may not want to go into a bunch of different applications. They might have, be a little too tired of that. So if, if I had one application that did it all, that'd be kind of nice. So we're going to include the link to Slido on the podcast post on our website so you can check it out for yourself and see if you like it. I'm Elizabeth Swan and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, 
you'll get to hear our interview with Jamie Flinchbaugh. Next up, it's a question we pose to our community about dealing with problems without being a jerk. <laughs> so this question came up for me recently because we've been having trouble with our newspaper delivery. And I'm sure that already puts me in this really weird bracket of somebody who actually reads <laughs> real paper, but instead of just going online, but look, let me tell my story. The deliveries <laughs> have been late a lot during the past year. And most days I'm okay with that, but Sundays are bad. You know, I have to go out and buy it if it doesn't get here. Cause at some point I don't know if it's gonna arrive, you know, it gets so late in the day. And, and Sunday's the day we just relax with the paper. We look at the comics, we look through the magazine, we linger with the crossword. So without the paper, my 20 year routine with my husband kind of goes off kilter. And the paper yeah. delivery gal occasionally adds envelopes for tips. So I just asked my husband, you know, include a note about the late papers. And then the other day she inserted a message for all of her clients. And she said her terminally ill husband had passed away and she apologized for a year of erratic deliveries and she promised things would get better. She just asked that we call or we text her instead of calling the company to complain oh. as some had done. Oh, oh. horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, just thinking about how incredibly difficult her life has been, it just, how crushing. And thankfully I asked him, my husband had never written a note. He never wrote, never complained. And I was relieved, but then I thought, is that a good rule? You know, should you should be able to acknowledge problems, but case in point, you never know a person's story. So the language and the method really matter. And that was my question. You know, how do you address issues with kindness? So how about you, Tracy? What do you do? You know, that is such a tough thing. And, and I'm really glad you didn't write the note either, but you really raise a good point. I mean, how do you bring things up that are potentially maybe even conflict? It feels like conflict. And thankfully for me, I mean, I am a people person. I'm always looking for, is this person ready to receive this message? And sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes they are. And so, you know, I tend to remember the person first. I tend to assume good intent. And so sometimes it's when I assume good intent, it's easier for me to just say, hey, I noticed this. Is that is that right? Or is that is that am I off base? Uh, so I, I tend to tread uh, with the person and having good intent about that person. And that usually means my mes message comes across okay. I have had a situation though where I had to rip off the band-aid. You know what I mean? Like, um, so as a leader, we've had a couple of situations and you know this, we had to let a consultant go one time and I had to deliver the message. <laughs> And, you know, I told I was told that the, 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 you know, the kindest way to do that is to be as direct as possible, because I've also been on the receiving end of that where people were not very clear. And so I knew something wasn't right, but I wasn't really clear what that was. And that did not help me. And so and then we had to revisit it because honestly, they did not do a good job of telling me exactly what was the issue. So I think having being direct as direct as possible when when you do realize you might need to have a conversation, I think has worked out well for me because I, I, I take a deep breath and I try to be direct when I have to be. But I think having that kindness and assuming good intent first 
getting clarity, seek to understand, it's, it, it works really well in these situations. So that's what I have found has worked best. It's, it's a tough one. And you mentioned the word leader and that puts us in that mode. We have to sort of use our leadership skills. And I put the question out to our community because I wanted to hear, you know, what are the methods they used? And what the first person that responded is Karen Ross, author of her latest book, The Kind Leader. So she's uniquely positioned and she's going to be our guest on the podcast next month talking about this new book. But so she had three steps that she offered. And she said, when you find yourself focused on your wants and needs and why they aren't being met by someone else, it's a cue to take a deep breath and focus outside yourself and on the others involved. Two, back to your point, assume positive intent. Take out a piece of paper and make a list of all the possible things that be going could be going on to you know to solve the to cause the problem, not just what you automatically assume. And three, use an open-ended question to ask the person what is going on from their point of view, and then listen with open ears, open eyes, open mind, and open heart, and see what you can do to help them and ask how they can help you. And she said, remember, how we get there is as or more important than where we are going. How does that strike you? I love it. And I'm in absolute agreement with that. Assuming positive intent and having empathy. You know, I think it's so important. And sadly, Elizabeth, I learned this from a prior boss that made some terrible assumptions about me rather than just asking me about it and, you know, assuming good intent, she like was spitting at me and it, it hurt. It hurt that she just assumed that I was capable of doing something like that. And I just remember thinking, I never want to do that to someone. And so those, you know, it's kind of one of those stories. We, we learn from leaders, good and bad. And this is one of the examples that I did learn from a leader where I was like, I never want to do that to somebody. Oh man it's those le- it's those lessons and this was kind of a lesson but another person that we both know holly jensen who's strategy and performance improvement director at alaska airlines uh says she tries to ask questions first and that helps her avoid complaining and it allows for an open door and she admits she often doesn't have the patience to do that and i i love her honesty right because we often don't have the patience but when she does She's glad she did because typically her frustration goes away and she better understands what's happening. And then she adds, this makes her more the person she's aiming to be. Mm-hmm. That really stuck with me because I know that feeling. When I can muster the patience, you know, I'm, I think better of myself. I'm happier with myself that I did the right thing. Uh-huh. Uh, Another one of our colleagues, M- Michelle Kliwa, who's a coach, consultant, and founder of Slingshot Designs, she also called this a lesson in humility, which helps to build empathy, right? And let, that's what happened to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it built your empathy for others. And she's seen one act of kindness cascade into enormous growth. You know, empathy and kindness can build people up, whereas apathy, disregard, can break them down, right? And that, mm-hmm. I think you, you gave an example of that. Um, executive leadership coach Sunitha Narayanan, she uses what she calls her in-the-moment pause, staying quiet for 11 seconds to help the amygdala disconnect. And the amygdala, I had to look this up, controls fight or flight. So then she has a few questions handy to ask without overthinking the situation. 
So in terms of those handy questions, our colleague Anton McBurney, founder, McBurney, founder of Co-Success Consulting, uses an all-purpose question, is everything okay? Now like that? I've used that. I've used that too. Yep. So good thing to have in your pocket, like, you know, Sunita was saying, don't overthink it, just a simple one, like, and you, you use that. And then continuous improvement engineer Raghavan Venkatram mentioned the book, Loving What Is. So that's, if anyone's looking for a book that might help him on this, his takeaway was to ask, is that true? Before he, his mind starts weaving pieces of the information into a story. And he'll ask him again, himself again, can you absolutely know that that's true? And it just lets him slow down his thinking or his story writing about the situation. And I thought those were, those were good. And the last one I'm going to end with is Eric Overton said, don't get mad, get curious. <laughs> this is a good, you know, sticks in your mind. It's a good one. I, I appreciate that as just a good adage. Really rich conversation. I love our problem solving community. Don't you? Me too. There's a lot of smart Humble people, the best kind of community. I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so you can go to www.jitcafe.com, thejitcafe.com, and go to our podcast page. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Jamie Flinchbaugh. Elizabeth, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about Jamie? Well, he's founder of Jay Flinch. I love that. That's a really Me cool. Too. Yeah. Catchy. Yeah. And he's helped purpose-driven leaders craft effective, resilient organizations at over 300 companies. Uh, he's leveraging more than 30 years of experience, and he's helped to build over 20 companies. Jamie collaborates with leaders and their teams to bridge capability, strategic, cultural, and systems gaps so they can safely span potential pitfalls and have purposeful impact on their organizations. Jamie has helped leaders across a wide spectrum of industries, including healthcare, utilities, technology, consumer products, and professional services, including Harley Davidson. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Intel, Mars, this goes from motorcycles to candy, Amazon, crayons. Crayola. Oh, that's why he has crayons in his, in his office. office. Exactly. Fidelity, and Whirlpool, among many others. Jamie is co-author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean. We wish we had that title. Lessons from the Road. And is the co-host of the podcast Lean Whiskey and Happy Heuristics. He currently lives in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, with his wife of 24 years, Jill Triani. Together, they have three children, Emma, Jack, and Ben. I can't wait to talk to Jamie. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it. Hey, Jamie, nice to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming to the cafe, as it were, with your crayon. <laughs> with my crayon. I, I do not have my, my cup of coffee, but uh, I, I did bring my crayons. <laughs> I love that. So we are obviously here to discuss your new book, which uh, Tracy and I are quite excited that we both have. Um, but before we talk about that, we both want to hear about your two podcasts. So one of them is called Lean Whiskey. That's already interesting. And the other one is called uh, Happy Heuristics. And then I had, you made me look up heuristics. So I am smarter <laughs> today than I was yesterday already. So thank you. Uh, but tell us about them and who should tune in. 
Yeah, so so Lean Whiskey is uh, with my friend Mark Raven. Mark and I have known each other a, a very long time, over 20 years, and we would occasionally end up in the same town. We'd go find, we're both fans of whiskey. We'd go find a, a, a whiskey bar with a good, good, good selection and talk shop. And we thought, you know, wouldn't this be fun, you know, if we made this a, a podcast? And, and we actually kind of joked about that for about two, three years until uh, 2019. We said, you know what, let's do it. And so we just started doing it. Unlike most podcasts where people enjoy making it, but they do have a very specific target audience. In a lot of ways, this is just Mark and I having fun. So, you know, gives us an excuse to get together, enjoy talking about whiskey. We talk about lean stuff. I think half the time it, it takes half the podcast before we even get around to the lean stuff because we're talking about either personal stuff or, or whiskey. Um, but we we get to we get to drink. We have occasional guests, um, but not 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 routinely. Uh, talk about news items and fun questions, and we don't try to be that structured. We just kind of enjoy our whiskey and our time. And whenever we're done, we stop recording. So, so that's fun. We're we're at episode twenty nine of that one. Uh, the other one, Happy Heuristics, is in a similar vein. It's with my friend Jeff Grimshaw. And, and, and Jeff and I always like, um, you know, brain candy was Jeff's term, uh, you know, just fun intellectual stuff that, that lights up our brains. And, and so heuristics are just another term for rules of thumb or decision criteria, but they're basically ways to simplify decision-making in complex situations or, or, or faster uh, and be right most of the time. And, and so we all have heuristics. We live with them, uh, just decision rules where we kind of uh, just always follow that rule without having to think about it. Uh, we, we, we even share some, some simple ones that everybody would, would recognize, like measure twice, cut once. Um, but each episode, we, we pick a theme. We each pick a heuristic that we might have heard from a client that we coach or that we've helped someone develop. We kind of share it, stress test it, then then take turns uh, doing that based on that theme, and that's not yet out. We uh, we've just started the the process of feeding the uh, the pipeline of of, uh, of 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 all the podcast feeds, and some of them take a little longer than others. So so we're going to release monthly episodes. We actually have three recorded, but monthly episodes either starting in October or November. So. Really looking forward to getting that out as well. That sounds fun. I like it. It is fun. It is. They fun. both sound really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't do it otherwise at this point. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's what it is about, right? I mean, we're all here because we really enjoy what we do, and uh, you're just channeling that, which I love. Yeah. Well, you guys bring a lot of energy to this to the to the Just in Time Cafe, so it's uh, always fun to see you guys on on camera talking about you know, not just with a smile, but with energy and passion. So uh, uh -huh. if I can just be up to your level, I'll, uh, once in a while, I'll be pretty happy. So. Ooh, I like, we like Jamie, don't we? Well, if you, if you think we're energetic on our podcast at the cafe, you should see us on whiskey. Yes, that would be, <laughs> that, that would be amusing. I, I would, I would enjoy the opportunity to share whiskey with you. I see, I see a really cool crossover opportunity of heuristics on whiskey. Like, and I would love to be a guest on that one. That, that sounds like fun. fun. <laughs> 
So talking about passion, you have a new book out and this is your second book, your first book you writ you writ wrote about 15 years ago, you said, right? Yeah, about 13, I think was when it was out, uh, something like that. So, uh, mm -hmm. um, okay. but uh, been quite a while. Um, it's, it's done well, it continues to actually do well. And I'm, I'm just ecstatic about that. It seems still seems to resonate with people, but, uh, but it's been quite a while. And, you know, this was pre ebook. So, I mean, the, the world of publishing books is quite different, let alone, let alone everything else. Yes. Uh, Tracy, before you ask your question, um, I'm just thinking we referenced your book when we were writing our book. You, were you going to say this, Tracy? No, go ahead. We'll just, she's like, well, somebody already wrote the, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide. So we can't use that as a title. <laughs> Yeah, the, the title the title took a while, and and we wanted it to be catchy, uh, you know. But we also wanted to convey, you know, there's no one central theme of that book. It's it's a bunch of different topics, kind of I don't say jammed together. It's it's meant to be a little more thoughtful than that. But our experiences. Uh, so the subtitle is actually more descriptive: lessons from the road that that Andy Carlino and I learned through our experience. So it's. It's a, very much an experience-based book rather than a research-based one, but um, uh, but we had fun with that title, that's for sure. Really nice. So tell us what uh, what led you to the journey of writing your second book, People Solve Problems. Well, I, I you know, I, I like to, it's been a while since I, I wrote a book. I definitely wanted to write another one. I, I needed a moment where I had enough time to really sink into a topic. And so when I sort of retired from, from Corvo the end of 19, that sort of teed up the opportunity regardless of, of any pandemic. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've said for a long time that lean is more about problem solving than most people give it credit for. Second is that, Every organization that isn't doing lean is still doing problem solving. And so whether that's a, a pathway, a, a, an entry level drug on the way to a gateway drug to, to lean, or just simply that's where you stop and you're just solving problems, we all need to do that better. And that 90% of the books, maybe 98% of the, the books, the training, the, the advice about problem solving is after you've decided to solve problems, in a structured way and you pick up a tool, how do you use that tool? And I, I kind of felt like, and I think I might've used this analogy, but uh, you know, it's like training somebody how to use a barbell and the exercise equipment when the real problem is they never go to the gym. And, and it's, it seems like the same kind of thing where lots of people will train you on how to use a problem solving tool, but then people never have the initiative to actually pick up the tool and use it. And so, there's other problems and challenges and, 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 and positive influence that helps shape problem solving beyond the tool. And so that's why I, that's what I wanted to unravel and explore and ultimately write about. Yeah. Um, I love that. I do too. Uh, one thing you zero in on and that I agree with uh, is that the struggle to craft good problem statements uh that is so true so what's the biggest issue you say with problem statements and how do you kind of suggest we all get better at it well the, the most damning problem with problem statements is people baking solutions into the problem statement that's a, that's a that's that's a a long-standing known no-no um 
But I think that the, to me, the biggest problem that is not as visible is treating them like they're written, you know, chiseled in stone. Um, and that they aren't flexible things that you use to go to, to, to modify as you go forward. Um, I, I love just, you know, when teams have to, you know, break apart, come back together periodically, it was they're working on problems just to ask, you know, remind us what is the problem statement, right? Just so we all remember what channel we're headed down. But second, is it still the right problem statement, right? Is, have we learned stuff along the way that suggests we should go back and revise how we define that? And, and, and granted, you know, when I would get involved in coaching a problem solving effort, it wasn't the simplest problems. It was hence the, the reason for including coaches, but I, I would say at least three out of four times, if not, I've never kept data on this. I should have, but at least three out of four times. And I'd say probably higher than that we go back and modify the problem statement because of what is learned throughout the process. And when we, when we treat it like it's chiseled in stone, we get, we get locked in, we miss the mark, we end up somewhere that ultimately doesn't have the impact we had hoped for, or sometimes we abandon our efforts altogether because it no longer seems relevant. And, and, and those, are, those are real challenges with effective problem solving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, there was a phrase I remember when you'd see, and I think you bring this up too, you see, you see little telltale phrases like lack of in the problem statement. And it was always like, okay, I think this is a solution masquerading as a problem. Like this is you know, clearly you've gone off the rails here, but I really take your point around being open to changing it. And I think that people get locked in. Yes. Yes. The other thing is, I mean, people are so trained as you know, to jump to solution. We're rewarded to have solutions. Sometimes people can't even think of the problem without having a solution jump in there. And one of the things I've been talking about too is, you know, this is discovery, right? You don't know the solution because you don't know the problem. You don't know the root cause and you're exploring, right? You're exploring what what's really happening. It's not about necessarily just, okay, implement something. Um, and so, and you have to be kind of comfortable with that, right? You don't know the root cause, you don't know the solution. And often we're uncomfortable with that, right? We're like, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to be on this team. Aren't we supposed to be implementing something? And I still feel like people really struggle with just letting go of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think <clears throat> jumping to solutions is essentially, we get credit for the wrong thing because people won't give credit for a well-crafted problem statement. Like I don't pay you for problem statements, I pay you for solutions. Mm -hmm. Well, that's wrong too. We don't pay people for solutions. Solutions, just an idea, an untested idea at that. We, we pay for actually closing the gap. We pay for the actual result. That's really what we're trying to get to. And, and so, uh, so, so fundamentally like people, people take way too much credit for having a solution written down in a box which anybody can do, does it work? Is it the right solution or is it a right solution? And does it actually produce a result that we care about? And, and so fundamentally, I think not only does that get us a better outcome from problem solving, it also slows us down because anybody can jump to a solution, but it's like, oh, wait, it has to be implemented. Oh, and it also has to work. Oh, wait a minute, okay. That's a whole different ball game. Um, Maybe I better understand the problem so I make sure my solution will work. If, if, I, if all I need to do is say we should do this and I'm done and I get credit, 
nobody really cares if if it works, right? It's like, hey, I hit the ball. Oh, great. Well, did did somebody catch it and you're out? It didn't really help us a whole lot. So I, I care about you, you know, ultimately crossing home plate and and the team getting a score. So I, I think we measure the wrong things. I think we give way too much credit for writing a solution down. And and in the end, um, you know, what actually produced a result that's that actually takes longer to get to, but that's your that's your timing, right? Not how long to get to a solution, but how long to implement an effective result. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Go ahead. Okay, so um, so you also mentioned in your book about being method and tool agnostic. I'd love to ex have you expand on that a little bit more. That's something Elizabeth and I also believe, especially when it comes to software, being software agnostic and not, uh, you know, people automate solutions, they jump to solution, it's usually automation. It doesn't, sometimes it makes the problem worse. And you, you talk about this method and tool agnostic approach. And I think what's interesting is I'm working with a client right now and lean and kata are just more four letter words to them. They're just like, but when I ask them, well, d d are you having a lot of process pain? Yes. Do you want help resolving that? Yes. But kata and lean don't talk to me about that. <laughs> right. So tell us a little bit about your, um, your approach and, and, and this agnostic uh, placement you have. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll be clear. As an individual problem solver, I'm not tool agnostic. I, I have my preferred methods. I some of that's just based on experience. Some of that's based on what I think works a little better. But a, I don't know if I'm right. Um, and b, it's not the only tools out there, right? And, and so I, I I when I wrote the first version, I uh, first draft, I should say. It, it, it very much was not a tool agnostic book, um, but, I, but, but Rob Worth, who, who did a great job at the first sort of round of edits, which is more of a structural edit, like what's, what's right and wrong with this, this book, and got me thinking about some things, and I, and I really said, you know what, let me just take the tools out of it. It's not really what I'm writing about anyway, because the lessons that I'm trying to get across are just as effective if you're doing A3, are you doing Demaic or you don't even have a tool at all and you're just getting through the day trying to solve problems? So the teaching points I'm trying to make are equally useful, helpful, or at least uh, valid for all of those environments. Um, in addition to that, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, like the five best problem solving organizations I've ever had the pleasure of working with and none of them had the exact same template. Right. They all had different tools and, and a different way to talk about it. So it's like and, and those, those were closer to the bottom five at the same time. So it's like clearly whoever buys the better exercise equipment isn't going to automatically get a good result. Right. It's it, there's more to it than that. So well, darn it. I'm going to return my Peloton. No, I'm just kidding. Feel free. Feel free. <laughs> it's uh, some a, a Peloton that's used to hang your bathrobe is less valuable than uh than walking around the block so uh um although it makes for a pretty nice bathrobe rack i think but uh, mm -hmm. but, yeah. but it, it's um you know I, I i look at how people how people think about this and how they use how they use the tools and again i think using the tools is more important than um arguing over the right tool 
-hmm. And I think being thoughtful and deliberate about how you're solving problems is more important than being sort of a slave to the tool or the template. Yeah. But you still have to own it. You, you should never kind of go, well, the tool says this or the template says that. It's like, yeah, but what do you need to do to move forward? Mm-hmm. You can never um, abdicate that responsibility to the tool. It's like, oh, well, I think I need to do this, but the tool says that's the next step. Therefore, I'm locked in. And when you observe people, that's that's how they behave quite often. And and that's hence my 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 orientation around tool agnostic, at least from the teaching points in the book. But yeah. a good a, a good Peloton will still help you if you decide to use it. Mm-hmm. You had a you had a great story of not providing a tool, working with a group, and they kind of evolved based on the questions you asked them, it, it coming back to you and saying, well, here's how, how we think this, this works, this problem solving we're doing. And you said they basically handed you what looked like an A3, you know what I mean? That they built themselves. So it, it, it but it was uh, organic and that gave the effort, power gave them ownership, lots of things that we know make a huge difference in, a, in an engagement. So I yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and I'd say, you know, and, and this team took a long time to get there and it was one team out of a very large organization and it, and it fit their style, which is really why I chose to do it that way. They were very, uh, you know, just, they, they didn't like a lot of hoopla and structure and stuff. Um, they just like to, to do work. Right. And, and their eventual version wasn't as elegant as an A3, but it, it worked and it had all the elements and the thought process there. But I, even if somebody starts off with something handed to them, whether it's from Toyota or from Six Sigma, or from, I don't care, right? But if somebody starts off with something handed to them as a, as a tool, I do believe there's a lot in sort of tearing it down and rebuilding it. And, you know, just like when I started many years ago as an automotive engineer, they're like, here's a transmission, take it apart, put it back together. Okay, I'm going to learn a lot that way, right? I don't I don't actually need to know how to do that, but I'm going to learn a lot about why it works the way that it does. And that's going to make me smarter in using it or in coaching it. And so I don't think each individual needs to rebuild their own problem solving tools. I, I do think there's a lot of value in at least the thought leaders in an organization doing that because they're going to understand why is it the way that it is well enough to coach and teach and make further improvements, which you know should never really stop either. Mm-hmm. You point out in the book that coaching is the crux of problem solving, you know, successful problem solving. So what makes a great coach if you had to pick like one or two factors? I know there's a lot, but sort of what in your experience are like the top two? Yeah, a great coach, I'll say first and foremost is whether you call it servant leadership or, or, or whatever, they are really in it for the other person. They are in it for their success. And, and not their own. And, and the reason is because t- you're gonna have lots of trade-offs. You're gonna have lots of times where y- you have to serve their needs rather than, than your own. And so you're gonna have to stay in that moment to be an effective coach. So I think that is, that is number one, um, is, is perhaps just that mentality of servant leadership. I'm in it for your success. Um, and, and I think that's extremely important. I think along the way, and, and there's lots of skills and, and mindsets and, and methodologies you can use in coaching, but you know, ultimately you have to help people move forward. And, 
and, and, but also allow them to take some ownership over that journey. And so there's a favorite phrase of mine that I like to use called relentless patience. And it is patience for getting to the destination, but impatience or relentlessness about being on the path, about getting up out of your seat and going forward. And so a good coach pushes someone, forces them, challenges them, cajoles them, does whatever they can to get that person moving forward, get off the bench and into the game. But then doesn't, I mean, you might judge for the sake of improvement, but is patient about them getting to the outcome that either they want or that you want. And because everybody's going to get there at a different pace at a different time and allowing for that self-discovery means that you have to give up some control over how quickly they move forward. So that, you know, having both sides of that, that relentless patience is, is important. You've, you've got to make sure the coachee is moving forward, but you have to have patience for them getting to where they need to get. Mm-hmm. So my very first experience with process improvement was at General Electric and we all had to do green belt projects. So I was a green belt before I was a black belt. And I had a black belt that was a, that was a, someone to assist me when I needed help. But really the person that was asking me about my project was my manager, right? And coaching me. And that worked so well, you know, that he owned it. He was the owner of that. He knew how to coach. And I was really impressed with that. And I agree with you. Absolutely. I feel like the, a big piece that's missing often with trying to develop a lean culture is this idea of growing and building coaches. And I think it's becoming more and more, people are getting more awareness around it. But what have you seen as the biggest uh, barrier, if you will, for developing coaching bench strength, right? Internally, what, what are you finding is the why it's not a priority or, or why they don't want to do it. Have you seen anything common in that way? A, a few things. I think one is, um, is, is patience. People feel, Hey, if nobody challenges me and tells me I might be doing it wrong, I can move faster. <laughs> um, it might be wrong, but I can move faster. And so let me pro- solve the problem while also learning is, is slower. It just, I mean, you know, if you invest enough time in it, it might not be slower. So it's a, it's a choice of what you prioritize, how you prioritize your time. But if I don't increase the amount of time I'm spending on it, I'm also going to get coached while, while solving the problem, it's going to take a longer duration. So I think that just urgency is, is one of the, the hurdles. Um, I think there are a couple others. I think not having standards for coaching hurts. So it's like, well, okay, if I go to, who do I go to for coaching? And am I going to get, what am I going to get, right? And if I go to four different people, do I get completely different experiences that one tells me to go this way, one tells me to go that way? Um, my, my son has a uh, high school soccer game tonight. He plays the position he plays. He plays differently than I would coach somebody playing that position. Now, fortunately, he listens to his coach and plays it the way that coach wants him to play it instead of the way I would, I would have my team play it, which is the right decision to make. But if you're just out there on your own, like I'm getting conflicting information from my coaches, it's more frustrating than it is helpful. So having some standards that say, this is the standard upon which we're coaching 
I think is important as well. And then third, I, I'd say just an organizational credit, recognition, uh, rec uh, valuing of the coaches as well as the problem solvers, right? So if you want to, if, if you want to be recognized as doing great work, you go solve problems. If you just love what you do, uh, you coach it. And, and so instead of kind of going, no, no, who are our best problem solvers? Uh, and I, I remember one person, one organization many, many years ago, he was the organization's best problem solver. And even though this superseded my authority as someone coming in from the outside, I said, you are not allowed to take on another problem yourself. You have to either take on an apprentice or bring somebody in to do it and you coach them. You're not allowed to solve another one. And he could have just ignored, he's like, who are you to tell me that? Well, fortunately he listened and he spent all his time building more problem solvers with his capabilities, but he, he was under leveraged by actually going to work at solve the problems and had much greater impact by helping build the people. So we have to value that in the organization, go to know th those are the stars, right? These, they might not get a lot of credit for the result, but is why I, I love it when we put, you know, whether it's a, uh, whether it's the template or it's a chart that we're tracking things on, who owns the problem, who's coaching them. Let's go, let's get their names out there visible and, and, and transparent. So everybody knows that's part of the success. Credit is free and so powerful. I hear you. And it's true, just hearing you, it's true that coaches don't get that highlight and they're critical. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, these are great. The book reads so easily. You have a really nice uh, inviting style. Uh, the people centric aspect of this is just the reality of problem solving. And uh, it's great to read. It's a, it's a, I, you know, we just got it this weekend and uh, we're, we're zipping through, but I'm like, I need to spend more time with this because, because uh, I really like your take and I like your structure. It's, it's great. So well, thank you. Appreciate oh, yeah. it. So how would people get in touch with you if they want to? And more importantly, how would they order your book? Well, uh, easiest thing is to find my website at jflinch.com. It's easier to spell than my, my, my full last name. Uh, my email is jamie at jflinch.com. And, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only Jamie Flinchball on LinkedIn, so they can find me there as well. Um, we hope to get, the book should be coming out October 26th. It should be available for pre-order very soon. Maybe by the time this, this podcast is released, but it will be available on Amazon. And we'll of course have links on our website uh, to the page where we plan to have, you know, obviously an ebook, paperback, hardcover, and and an audiobook, uh, hopefully all released on the same day. So whatever people's personal preference, hopefully we can we can serve their needs and and deliver some value. Awesome. Any last questions, Tracy? Well, just to follow up for some lean whiskey and a conversation, <laughs> hopefully in person someday. I know you don't go to conferences much, you say, and well, it's not really many to go to anymore, but uh, no, I, I, I think lean that's great. Lean whiskey would be fun. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> and next time you bring uh, lean whiskey to the cafe, I think that's, maybe we can handle it that way. <laughs> well, we did, we did do our last episode with coffee 
uh, coffee-based whiskey cocktails. So, um, uh, so we we did we did a bit of our own little crossover, if you will, <laughs> um, with uh, putting some coffee and whiskey together in, in a couple of different concoctions. So awesome. Very well, nice. Thank you for coming to the cafe, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to your next visit and your next book. Well, I don't know when the hell soon that'll be, but uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'm not going to get to work on that right away. But like, chill I'll, out. I just got my second we'll, one. Okay, fair enough. We'll get one out before then. We'll talk about that one after this one. But That's it was good really good out. to talk about your book. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Stay tuned for information about our October 7th webinar with Dorsey Sherman. Dorsey Sherman is a part of our loving and wonderful Women in Lean community, and she's a leadership and high-performance coach. She's always very thoughtful. I always love hearing from Dorsey. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a great one. And then next month's podcast episode, as I mentioned, we interview Karen Ross about her new book, The Kind Leader. Karen runs the Love and Kindness Project, a nonprofit, has written six books, including the Toyota Way to Service Excellence. Uh, she's just a powerhouse of kindness, so that's going to be great. You, I, you said it perfectly, powerhouse of kindness. It's almost like she's saying, you will be kind. <laughs> she's going to whip this universe into shape, man. We will be kind. It's <laughs> crazy. I don't know how she does it, but she does it really well. She does it, man. There's still room also for you to join our next Lean Six Sigma Leadership Workshop offered through UC San Diego. It starts at the end of January 2022 and it goes for 12 weeks. We'll provide a link to that on our website. Hey, so thanks for listening. We're lucky to have your company. We appreciate our community and that includes you. So thanks for coming to the Just In Time Cafe. It's always better with all of you. I'm glad you come to us to get your jolt of lean caffeine. We'll see you next month. Bye. Bye.